uh, alright, welcome to the deer part two, um, so thank you so much for tuning in to this, uh, this wonderful, wonderful audio drama that I think I've worked hard with with a lot of other people and quite proud of its progress so far and I'm getting better. This episode I think I was a little crunched on time, a bunch of events have happening, I've rebuilt the entire Ironwood website. Uh, at the moment, so that should be going live and public soon, but I'll let you guys listen, thanks so much for taking the time. The horses whinnied as they were hitched up to post outside the coastal city. Its air was filled to the brim with the brine of the ocean and carried the ever-approaching cold winds of autumn. Both Ronan left their men outside the city at such a range that their presence wouldn't be a variable in their search for the horse. Both the deer and the hare walk in peasants' clothing, so as to not arouse suspicion within the town. While they were both masquerading as civilians, they did not carry weapons on them. The deer carried his borrowed comma and the hare kept with her matchlock pistol tucked away in her yukata. Together they were to search throughout the city and pray that their disguises would be enough to fool any of the local inhabitants. Knowledge of either being a ronin could prove to be problematic in the future, if they were to ever come back. Another aspect of the ruse was that they'd pretend to be a newlywed couple, which meant that the two would have to be unfortunately close to one another as they walked through the city. As they made their way through the streets, the hare couldn't help but feel her stomach churning. Her mind was filled to the brim with memories of her husband mixed in with that of his untimely end. On the other hand, the deer found the situation rather calming. As for marriage, he had no experience with it beyond his knowledge of his parents' partnership. Marriage to him was a rather joyous process in which he hadn't yet to partake in. It was something he would have to consider as he was now the last of the Otanashi. He thought of asking the hare about her experiences with marriage and how to acquire a mate. The two stand before the entrance of the city looking in, both of them awkwardly waiting for the first to make the move inside, though the deer knew that they hadn't made a proper plan beyond the disguises. I suppose we shall go by our real names while we are here though. They'd recognize an Otanashi. Oh. I've come to realize that we never introduced one another beyond our identities as Ronan. Could you tell me your name, Hare? He smiles at his shaking partner. Uchikina Usagi. My name is Uchikina Usagi. While she spoke, her mind was still warped by thoughts of her husband. Then I shall be Jin Usagi, if you'll have me. The deer's humorous attitude didn't rub off too well on Uchikina. In fact, Gin was unsure of how to proceed with his frozen partner, who was staring off unresponsive rather than pushing her past her limits, he stares into the hustle and bustle of the city. The two just stand side by side for a couple of minutes. I suppose I will have you. She breathes in a slow, laborious fashion, clearly panicking. You seem uncertain, Uchikina. Something I should know before we enter? My husband was killed. And the idea of pretending to be your wife makes me want to hurl. And it's also a little scary. I miss him a lot, and you kind of remind me of him. I mean that as a samurai, you resemble him. 
in all actuality, you look nothing like him. We weren't married long, got killed before we had the chance to have kids either. She continues to look onward, her voice only growing more distraught with a visible lump in it. Well, we could try being siblings instead. Might make you a bit more comfortable. The suggestion is well received as her smile returns to her face. Having come to the mutual agreement, the two venture into the seafaring town, of which the first location was a fish market. Fishermen came ashore emptying nets with still thrashing bluefin tuna, while others deboned them for sale and other such endeavors. The fishermen, accustomed to the brine, filled air, exchanged jokes and tales with one another. Between them, there was a merriment that could only be found by those who fished along these coastal lines. There were even children sitting along the walls, sitting and watching their fathers as they worked. The two ronin even listened, as to not interrupt before going in for reconnaissance. There was once a samurai who loved to put a price on everything. If he saw a hundred things, he put a price on all of them. His friend says to him, You know, you don't have to put a price on everything. That's for the merchants. The samurai looks at his friend and tells him, What great advice. Thank you. Your words are worth a thousand silver. Some of the fishermen stop their work and laugh at the joke. The joke was a good enough that made Uchikina chuckle to herself. It was quite the sight to see as her little chuckle turned to a full-on laughter. Unbeknownst to the fishermen, they didn't know that the two genuine, or rather former samurai, were walking next to them. They're quite the funny fellows. Since my father was a merchant, we were well acquainted with the seafarers. They enjoyed the occasional story, song, and tales of yokai. I was similar to the boys on those walls, listening in like a bird on a windowsill. You were like my father when he was younger. They don't know how this world is soon to change at the hands of the dragon. The two continue on their way into the active market where fish is being sold by the wreck. Eels seem to be a specialty as most of the buyers congregated around the particular point of the market. Uchikina seemed more uh, focused on the tuna nearby, being filleted by one of the fishmongers, the very same one who'd told the joke earlier. He greets them, uh, what is sure to be the most beautiful woman he saw in all the lands he'd traveled to. A grin spreads across his face as he stops filleting to look at her, his smile revealing several missing and yellowed teeth. To what do I owe the pleasure of meeting such a fine young woman as yourself? Perhaps you'd like to take some of my wares home? A woman like you surely has a husband who'd enjoy such fine cuts. The fishmonger then notices Gin was close by simply observing. Oh, there he is, right there. Quite a handsome husband you've got there. Regina froze up again at the mention of the word husband. Actually, we're siblings. This is my sister, Uchikina. And I am Jin. Gin says quickly, easing the situation, having to make first use of their poor excuse for identities. They called me Daisuke. And now that we've made each other's acquaintance, I'd like to offer you my services. I have several fillets of fine fish that you'd like to try for your supper. Of course, for such a lovely visage, at a discount. He points to the mostly filleted tuna set about on a wall. We'd be happy to buy some. And would you happen to have baskets as well? The man points slightly below him to a few weaved baskets stacked on top of one another. Gein takes one of the weaved baskets, examining the fillets before selecting the most fatty of that particular tuna. 
He then reaches into a coin purse around his waist, setting a few silver coins onto the table. Uh, oh, uh, I'm sorry, but this is too much. I couldn't possibly. He didn't get too far before Ujikina took charge, snapping once more out of her panic. Almost immediately, the ronin had realized the situation that Gein had set up for the two. Take it as a bit of a gift, in addition if you answer our question. Where could we find the horse? Stables are towards the south, I believe. Plenty of pretty ones there, too. Daisuke answers rather confusedly, and though he's happy to have earned the generous gift he'd been given, both Ronin let out a groan simultaneously, pinching their temples. The horse. The samurai. Not actual horses. We'd like to see the legendary warrior who was said to fight along the famous warlord Mezu. I heard he was staying in this place. Gin slides a few more coins across to Daisuke, hoping that a few more might jog even more of his memory. The fishmonger smiles, sliding the coins into his personal pouch before stepping around his table, walking into the street. Ah, yes, okay. Head down to the floating world. The horse is said to frequent there quite a bit. You're more than likely to find him in one of the theaters. That's about all I can tell you about him. But come back if you need any more fish. Be sure to visit. The fishmonger retreats behind his stall, sending those two siblings on their way in with a basket of fish fillets. The newfound information meant that the two would need to enter one of the shadier districts within the city. The characters within the floating world were categorized as a deviants of the highest caliber. Men, soldiers, and higher-class women often went there for their preferred form of debauchery, whether it be sexual deviancy, gambling, or or even the occasional samurai who wanted to evoke their right to bure uchi in order to cut down peasants to ease their rage. It was no place for anyone who was living a happy life. Despite this, it was one of the rumored stories about the horse that had spread throughout his conquest. It was a trait that had been passed down from his teacher, Mezu, to the current incarnation of his protege. He'd spent most of his compensation on booze and women. He found the company of beautiful women to be worth its weight in gold. The man would supposedly spend weeks at a time within the floating world, even stating that he'd write a book on his philosophy within it. Walking into the area was akin to being sent into a different world entirely, hence the name. It smelled strongly of cheap but overpowering scents of perfumes, with a tincture of smokes that escaped some of the buildings. Women dressed in somewhat erotic clothing, bearing skin, and making flirtatious remarks to stupering men who had their fill of alcohol. Both Gin and Uchikina stood outside the place, looking in it as a rather dirty area for the debauchery of this caliber. Ujikina found the actions disgusting as what she deemed to be failings of selfishness of those who actively participated in such acts. As for Gein, he found the actions underneath his former family's position as nobleman, though in a wicked sense he understood the horse's fondness for such places. We proceed forward within this dark place and search for the horse. I say we offer him food in exchange for an audience. We keep our weapons on us. Should the need arise for their purpose, we shall use them appropriately. Careful of lecherous men as well. It is likely they will come to believe you are a worker for one of the brothels. Is there any way to discern where your friend is located beyond entering these, uh, 
establishments. Uchikina can't help but ask as a man stumbles out of one of the buildings in order to relieve himself within an alleyway. Neither of the two searching parties had any desire to venture further within the floating world. Well, I cannot say for certain where he is. The horse always had a knack for humorous jokes and such. I would make the assumption that he chose a brothel with an ironic name. After Keen finishes his statement, he turns to gauge her reaction, but finds her grimacing ahead. Her eyes had glanced across the name of a brothel towards the end of the road. If puns and irony were what brought the horse to a brothel, then he was certainly in the velvet saddle. The two strode further within the district, glancing further into the despicable lair. Smells of the place became overwhelming as they approached the velvet saddle, at the point of almost being nauseating. Upon entering the door, a new smell, surely present before, was brought to the forefront of the smoke and perfume, sweat. The smell of the perspiration had saturated the air just in front of the building. When entering the building, it had become apparent as to the reason why the smell was so strong. Presumably, the horse, renowned Ronin, who had served under the great and powerful Mezu, was dripping with sweat. Women surrounded him all bare, some asleep, some exhausted, as the man himself was naked. The man's pupils had become so dilated that they had vanished as he breathed heavily. He held a woman by the arm before letting her go when seeing the two enter the building. His breath, despite the immense humanity, came out rather dry. The horse makes eye contact with Uchihina Usagi, flashing his teeth in an eager smile. However, many women that he'd hired were clearly not enough to satisfy him to his fullest extent. Slowly, he stumbles towards Uchikina, looking to Gin with a look of approval. It seemed as though that the horse had found himself a new plaything for the time being. Yet, when he reached out his hand to disrobe Uchikina, he was met by a comma to his throat and a matchlock pistol to his stomach. Needless to say, despite his inebriated state, he came to realize that these threats were serious, and he took a step back. Seeing as you're clearly not a Yujo, I'd like to apologize for that line of behavior. However, seeing as you're clearly not a Yujo, I would appreciate it if you were to leave. I have some business to attend to. He starts turning around before Gin puts his hand on his shoulder. Gein was disgusted by the sheer volume of sweat on his body, of which he had now touched, but did so to get the horse's attention. We have business to discuss together, horse. The man turns around, glaring, perhaps thinking of how to kill Gein without ruining the brothel's atmosphere. Why should I listen to you? The horse removes Gein's hand, rubbing his against his bare leg to insinuate the nobleman was dirtier than the debaucherous. Because I've bought some tuna for the three of us to talk something over, and I'd be happy to pay for any drinks you'd like while we discuss. Almost immediately, the horse's tune was changed by the proposition. No doubt, this was the result of a hunger from all the fun he'd had. The two, Gin and Uchikina, make their way upstairs into a room with a table and a small stove within it. A small wood stack was in the corner, and thus they set up the small stove. The flame kept from spreading due to an iron divot in the middle, making cooking within this room entirely possible. Is he really the best man for the job? Chikina comments, glaring at the ground. Her mind was lost on the events that had occurred below with a now deep-rooted and unshakable skepticism of the new possible ally. It was natural to doubt his cooperation and competence, considering his actions below and his move to treat her like a Yusha. The man has undoubtedly become more deranged since I last saw him. 
perhaps it's a direct result of Mezu's death, but I cannot say for certain. Regardless, his men will be a necessary resource along with his military prowess if we are to successfully kill the dragon. Even with his help, we're still at an astute disadvantage. We both desire to avenge our prospective individuals. Tolerance is necessary. The two stare at one another before Ichikino rolls her eyes, making some acknowledgement of her agreement. It was then that the horse had entered the room wearing his hakama, um, leaving his torso exposed. Sorry for my late arrival. I was wiping off the excess sweat. He holds out a tenegoi, which was absolutely drenched before, sitting among the group. He puts two bottles of sake onto the table, and a smaller container of oil for the tuna. He was hungry, looking at the cuts of tuna with a grin, though he had some manners. Can I learn who I'm dining with before we eat? I'd prefer it if we talked using our monikers as well. I'm the hare. Uchikina comments, setting a fillet on the metal grill. The deer. We've met before, Gin says, throwing his own fillet next to Uchikina's. After the introduction, the horses set several fillets on the grill, smiling as they sizzle under the heat of the fire. He then looks back up at the two thinking of where he'd heard the soldier's title. Then you're incredibly forgettable. As for my moniker, I am the horse. Now, what business would you like to inquire of me about? I'm quite the busybody these days. While speaking, he opens one of the bottles, pouring everyone a drink, swiftly downing his before refilling it again. Despite what would be a serious meaning, he had a smile on his face, as a result of all the free food and drinks he was given. Surely you heard that the dragon is going to ascend to the throne as emperor. The deer has informed me that you and your men are one of the best cavalries in all of the provinces. We'd like for you to assist us, in our goal to usurp him from his throne. The hare was harsh and stern with her beliefs, recognizing that both she and the deer were going to avenge their respective families. Yet the horse continued smiling on, turning his fillets over. It seemed as though he didn't care for the story and was only proceeding with simple complicity. In an agitated state, Uchikina turns to Gin, looking at him for him to act. Gin, while knowing how he should, in an agitated state, Uchikina turns to Gin, looking for him to act. Gin, while knowing how he should proceed, realized that the animosity generated by his desired comment would possibly cross a line between the two. He grits his teeth, waiting to gauge the response of the horse. I have no intention of killing myself. In fact, <laughs> I plan on joining him, seeing as I'd like the stipend to continue. Your task of revenge is not something I quite agree with. If that's all, we're done with this. The comment about revenge was more than Gein could take, after remembering the locust words about his family. Then you're aware that Mezu was killed by a samurai in his employ. Gein's statement causes the horse to hesitate in taking his fillet off the stove. Slowly his smile turns to a grimace, looking at the now burning meat. You know this for certain? Yes. I even know which samurai it was. The ox. It's rather impressive considering his master and yours were widely considered rivals. Gozu was betrayed by the ox before the battle, and using his master's plans, killed Mezu. He's now among the generals, as the highest in the land surely praised for such an exploit by the dragon. The fillets are removed from the iron stove while the horse begins to sulk. How many men serve under you? 
Angry, the horse starts to stuff his face with the fillets in an attempt to staunch his anger. Having secured his interest, Gin lets Uchikina finish. Together, our warband numbers 800, but they are just as capable of 1,000. Then with my army, you'll have 500 capable as 1,300 men, though I wouldn't count on the capable aspect in our battle strategy. The dragon has at least 10 times our numbers. Going to battle with him is like killing ourselves. It's narrowly possible we avenge those we lost, and it's very possible that we might end up being slaughtered like dogs in the streets. I'm happy to lay down my life to avenge Gezus. Are you willing to do the same? Every then was happy to, without a doubt, avenge those they'd lost. It was not as though that Gin and Ujikina were to die that they would be left without regrets. In battle, every moment of conflict, the hair was filled with fear that she'd never see a child of her own and the deer now aware of how he was the last of his kin wanted to rear offspring for the Otanashi. We have both come to terms with it. Keen lies for the both of them, hiding how terrified he was behind that businessman facade he had managed to pick up as a child. In response, the horse smiles, drinking another couple cups of sake. Good. I look forward to working with you. Though, I must know, why not arrive here in your armor? He continues eating most of the fillets, cooked properly after the first two burnt ones. Now that the three made some sort of pack, it felt the air within the room was lighter. The dragon has sent his men after those who won't submit to him. I've killed the locust, and the hare has killed the boar. Actually, the elephant killed the boar. With the mention of the elephant, the horse lightens up. The elephant? I served alongside him with Mezu at one point. The horse then hesitate as he realized something. Dragon is killing soldiers who won't submit to him. A man going by the mouse is downstairs. Said he was going to enjoy his time in the velvet saddle. Is it safe to say that we kill that man and assimilate his army into our own? Don't even answer. Allow me to do the honors, considering that he's entering my establishment. You own this place? Of course, it's cheaper. And I make some coin that way. I guess none of that matters anymore. We're all going to die soon, after all. He stands up and walks downstairs, likely to one of the rooms, to see the mouse and execute him. The two upstairs wait on the almost insurmountable task at hand, visualizing a blade plunged through their stomachs. Somehow, it laid heavy on their minds that death was a guarantee, rather than a possibility. So that was the deer part two. So there was a couple of errors with lines, and that's on me, I made mistakes, but I think the voice actors did wonderfully for what they had and what I was able to do uh, with them, and it, it turned out, I think, well enough. Uh, so thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned for part three of The Deer. Ironwood, out. <laughs>